Ezekiel chapter 26, Ezekiel chapter 26. We're going to go through, uh, look at 26 and 27 this evening. So uh, chapter 26, it's a message and a lamentation to God's people. A message and a lamentation, which is a, 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 a word of, of mourning. Chapters 26 through 28 give us prophecies involving the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon belong together. You never think of one without the other. These chapters are a great example of the accuracy of the literal fulfillment of prophecy. All of God's prophecies up to this point have been fulfilled. And you know the rest of them will be fulfilled. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 20-21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, moved by the Holy Spirit. This is one of two important scriptures confirming the divine inspiration of God's word, the infallibility of God's word. What he says is going to come to pass. And the other scripture is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where Paul said all scripture, understand that, All Scripture, not some, not your favorite Scriptures, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That means for what's right, for reproof, for what's not right, for correction, that's for making it right, and for instruction in righteousness, for staying right, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why Bible study is essential to spiritual effectiveness. Peter confirmed that the scriptures weren't written by men, you know, who who thought these things up or who used their own ideas and words, but written by men of God who were moved, Peter said, moved by the Holy Spirit. The word translated moved means to be carried along like a ship is carried along by the wind. The scriptures are God-breathed. They're not the inventions or ideas or thoughts of men. Peter was refuting the doctrines of the apostates, that is, the, the false prophets. The apostates taught with deceptive words, Peter said, and they twisted the scriptures to make them mean something that, that, that you know, wasn't biblical. You know, they, they, they made the scriptures mean something else that they didn't mean. They denied the promise that Jesus Christ was coming again. And by doing that, they denied the prophetic scriptures. Because the Spirit gave the word. So only the Spirit can teach the word of God and interpret it accurately. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. He said, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it because only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Every false teacher says, oh, I'm led by the Spirit. But the way they use the Word of God, it shows that they're not. And since the Bible didn't come by the will of man, it can't be understood by the will of man. Even religious Nicodemus, a leading teacher of the Jews, was ignorant of the most basic doctrines of God's Word. In 2 Peter 1.20, Peter said, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, when Peter said that, he wasn't saying, hey, you don't need to study the Bible. That's not what he was saying. 
Now, some religious groups have taught that only the spiritual leaders can interpret Scripture. And that they've used this verse as their support for saying that. But that's not what Peter was saying. Peter wasn't, rightly meaning, wasn't writing mainly about the interpretation of Scripture, but the origin of Scripture. Who wrote it? It came by the Holy Spirit through holy men of God. And since it came by the Holy Spirit, it must be taught by the Holy Spirit. The word translated private simply means one's own or its own. Again, Peter said that it didn't come by any man's private interpretation. It wasn't his own interpretation. The suggestion is this. Since all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it must all stay together. It must all hang together. No one scripture should be separated from the others. You see, you can use the Bible to prove almost anything if you want to take scriptures out of it and use it for your own benefit. You know, you, you, you can take that verse out of their proper context, which is exactly what false teachers do. Peter said that the witness of the apostles confirmed the witness of the prophetic word. Where, you know, that is, there's one message with no contradiction. What the prophets taught and what the apostles taught were the same. There was no contradiction from the Old Testament to the New. So the only way that these false teachers can prove that their false doctrines is by misusing God's word. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, isolated texts apart from context become pretexts. God's word was written to common people, to everyday people like you and me. It wasn't written to theological professors. The writers assumed that common people could read it, understand it, and apply it, led by the same Holy Spirit who inspired it. The humble individual believer can learn about God as he reads and meditates on God's word. He doesn't need the experts to show him truth. Now, again, after saying that, this doesn't contradict the ministry of teachers in the church that Paul talked about in Ephesians 4.11. Those were special people who have a gift for explaining and applying the scriptures. And it doesn't, it doesn't deny knowledge learned from other groups of the church as over the ages that these doctrines have been defined and redefined or refined. So teachers and creeds, they have their place. But they must not take over the authority of the word of God over the conscience of the individual believer. The believer who builds his life on the word of God and who looks for the coming of the Savior probably will not be led astray by false teachers. He'll be taught by the Holy Spirit and he'll be grounded on the sure word of God. The city of Tyre was the capital of the great Phoenician nation, which was, uh, was famous for its seagoing traders, a lot of business. They did business in the Mediterranean and even beyond the Mediterranean. Tyre was a great city, a proud city. King Hiram, the king of Tyre, had been a good friend of David, and he supplied David with building materials. Solomon and Hiram, they didn't get along as well as David and Hiram did. Because it seems that Hiram was a great king, but also the center of Baal worship was there in Sidon and Tyre. Jezebel, the daughter of a king and former priest, married Ahab, king of Israel, and introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom. 
So now let's look at these prophecies that God gives about Tyre and Sidon. In verses 1 through 6, these verses covers Tyre's sin is recognized. So again, Tyre was a very important city of Phoenicia. And the name Tyre means rock. And it referred to the main fortress that was located on a rock. That is an island sticking out of the water about a half mile offshore. The city was built in two parts. One was on shore and the other was an island offshore. It was mentioned as, a, as an important city, as a main city of the Phoenicians by Joshua in chapter 19 of Joshua. The Egyptians and Assyrians tried to control uh, Tyre because of its important location as a port city and a military outpost. King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, army, uh, he continued attempts to conquer the city. It was first started by the Assyrians. They took over Titan in seven, uh, Tyre in 722 B.C. Then after a five-year siege, they tied off uh, the offshore uh, part of Tyre, but they could never conquer it. King Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city for another 13 years, but failed to conquer the offshore rock uh, fortress of Tyre. Alexander the Great, he was the first one to actually conquer the city. And he did it by building a bridge from the shore across the water and using his navy to attack from the sea as well. Until that time, Tyre was a great commercial center of the world. It had a lot of wealth. And Tyre's ability to stand against some of the greatest armies and commanders in history gave the people who lived there a sense of pride, invincibility. They were arrogant. That made them insensitive to other people's suffering. So their lack of concern is seen by the spiteful joy of the people of Tyre when Jerusalem was destroyed. Ezekiel used the same words as he did in chapter 25, verse 3. Remember when he said, he said that the people said, Aha! At the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, the same thing here in chapter 26 in describing Ammon's joy over the fall of Jerusalem. So that little bit of background, let's begin with chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And it came to pass in the eleventh year on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me, and I shall be filled. Of, uh, I, and, and I shall be filled. She is laid waste. The judgment of Tyre was partly due to the people's attitude, their joy, when they heard the news about destruct, the destruction of Jerusalem. Notice again, it says, they said, Aha. Because she was the gateway to the rich trade routes to the east. They've been broken. And they say now, and God, and God says, because they have, I'm now the heir. And because she's been made desolate, God says, I will become wealthy. So this phrase, aha, shows the hostility that the people of Tyre had toward Israel. <clears throat> the word aha is an expression of hateful delight. Now look at verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> Therefore, God said, now as a result of their aha, their, their joy at Jerusalem's destruction, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her, tire, her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, says the Lord God, and it shall become plunder for the nations. 
Also her daughter villages, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. So God promised to bring six judgments against Tyre. The first one are words that are usually related to military action. There in verse 3, it said, Many nations would come up against you, Tyre. So the multiplying of the military enemies of Tyre was pictured as, as he said, they're going to come uh, over you like waves pounding them in this ocean. He says, they're going to come upon you pounding the city, these armies. Again, it's the picture of a storm creating great destructive waves. The city of Tyre was situated, as I said, partly on the Mediterranean coast and partly on an island about a half a mile from the coast. So Ezekiel's storm image here was right on the money. God was angry at Tyre for them rejoicing being happy about Jerusalem's destruction. And he saw it as a chance now for Tyre to... Pro- or they saw it a chance for, pro- for uh, Tyre to prosper even more. But the Lord said that the nations would come like waves of the sea, one after another, destroying Tyre in the end. The second judgment coming against, Eze- uh, against uh, Tyre, in Ezekiel's statement, it gives evidence of, of divine... Uh, that is God's opposition to Tyre in verse 3. The emphasis of the text literally says, Behold, God says, I'm coming against you. Which calls attention to the events of judgment as being arranged and coordinated by God. The third judgment that God would bring against them is the walls of Tyre, he said in verse 4, would be destroyed. In spite of all of those who fought against Tyre, it wasn't defeated. I mean, it, was, it, you know, it wasn't until it was defeat, defeated by great, uh, the great... Um, Alexander the Great that this prophecy was fulfilled and the prediction did come true then we see the fourth judgment God promised that the island fortress would become a pile of ruins that would be scraped away like dust there wouldn't be any trace of that once indestructible city Tyre would only be a bare rock verse 4 says notice it's going to become a bare rock where fishermen would dry their nets that would, make, that would mark the spot where Tyre used to be. So the statement there in verse 4 and verse 14, like the top of a rock, it's, it's worth mentioning because you know what? Tyre did become a bare rock. It did become a place where fishermen dried their nets. Again, a beautiful picture of the infallibility of the Word of God. God said it was going to become a place for uh, fishermen to dry their nets, and that's exactly what's happened to it even today. The fifth judgment against Tyre, they were known uh, for its commercial and political power. But verse 5 said they would become a target of plunder, you know, of rooting and ransacking and stealing for all of the nations. And then the sixth judgment that the city uh, was going to experience, the city on the mainland would also be destroyed. And the area, it says in verse 6, would be destroyed by the sword. So nations who describe themselves as special centers of evil and ungodliness, hey, they get special attention as the objects of God's judgment. Man, God's going to see to it. They're going to be His object of divine destruction. These kinds of nations in history also received a special, uh, special attention in God's Word. For example, Tyre, Egypt, Babylon... They all share this questionable character as a center of evil and ungodliness. Egypt was used as an example for the slavery of sin. 
immorality and idolatry. Babylon is an example for godless government. And Tyre is an example for pride and self-sufficiency. Now in verses 7 through 14, these verses cover the details of the immediate destruction of Tyre. Let's read verses 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, and with horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mount against you and and build a wall against you and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons and the chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your uh, they will they will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock, and you shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord. These verses focus focuses specifically on King Nebuchadnezzar's attack against Tyre. It's already been said that King Nebuchadnezzar started a war against Tyre that lasted for 13 years from 586 to 573 B.C. He was named in verse 7 as the person responsible for this attack. And he gives a description of the Babylonian siege of the part of Tyre that was on the shore of the Mediterranean. It says that the Babylonians threw the timbers and the stones into the water and took all the spoils for themselves. And then verses 15 through 18 covers the effect of the judgment on the neighbors, on Tyre's neighbors. Look at verses 15 through 18. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded cry, when slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all of the uh, princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes, and take off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble every moment, and be astonished at you. And they will take up a lamentation for you and say to you, How you have perished. O one inhabited by seafaring men. O renowned city who was strong at sea. She and her inhabitants who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are troubled at your departure. The coastlands in verse 15 refers to the neighboring states that were servants to Tyre. They depended on the city of Tyre for their own security and safety. And so this lamentation in verse 18, or this grief, this funeral song, it came before a short prophetic message describing the shock and the fright of these neighboring villages after they learned about the fall of Tyre in verse 16. So the people's behavior described the usual response of a person to the death of a close friend or loved one. Tyre was really important to their neighboring friends. Normally, their clothing, uh, people that mourn, normally their clothing was torn. And mourners would sit on the ground and they'd sing funeral songs. But notice as these leaders here would take off their royal garments. Why? Because they were expensive. 
and, and they, instead they practice other signs of mourning. And since Tyre was at the center of all merchandising along the Mediterranean coast, and they did business with every known country, when she fell, man, it was devastating to the economy, thus devastating to their neighbors. It wasn't just a ripple effect, man, it was a tidal wave. Their partners in business, called princes in verse 16, and kings in chapter 27, verse 31, they lost everything. And all they could do was mourn over the great tragedy that had struck. In verses 17 through, and 18, we have a short lamentation, or like a funeral song, or, or a mourning. A short lamentation over the fall of the city. Now keep in mind that in ancient days, the prophets sometimes used funeral lamentations in a mocking way to poke fun at the enemies of God. And we'll see examples of that when we get to chapter 27 and chapter 32. People along the coast trembled, it says here, as they wondered what's going to happen to our economy now. What's going to happen to our great commercial system that was destroyed? Our world today, man, is connected by a series of electronic networks where, you know, where transfers, transfer, where we transfer information, where money and orders for merchandise are transferred, you know, this electrical system, you know, in such speed, man, that it's hard to imagine. So think what would happen in the world's economy if all of the electronic business connections in New York City alone were to disappear. And that's very possible these days with, you know, uh, against cyber attacks. This reminds us that in the end times, when the Antichrist has organized his great world economic system called Babylon, the Lord's going to destroy the whole thing. It's all going to come to an end, and it's going to leave, leave the business people wiped out and in mourning, according to Revelation 18. Then in verses 19 through 21, these verses cover Tyre's descent into the pit. Now, Having mentioned the funeral here, Ezekiel followed with the burial of the body of Tyre, figuratively speaking, into the pit. God promised Tyre would be a desolate and unoccupied place. And the depths of the ocean would cover the spot where the city once stood, verse 19 says. In other words, Tyre would be brought down to the pit like the people of old and like, and like ancient ruins. And it says there, notice in verse 20, the city would never return to the land of the living, meaning it would never be rebuilt. And this was common language for describing the grave. And it was a favorite word that was used by Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is giving us insight into the full extent of the total of, of Tyre's destruction by describing the victim's descent, which was uh, a Tyre, into the pit, according to verse 20. The Hebrew word pit here means a well or a pit or a cistern. But it also refers to the pit of death. And sometimes it's used as an equivalent to Sheol, the place of the dead, the realm of departed spirits. So the last two verses here use some new descriptions to convey the idea of judgment. Tyre's trip to the pit won't be one that will lead to peace and rest. It was going to lead to a very terrible ending there were terrible consequences because of the pride of tyre and guys he hates pride it's the top of the, the the list of sins that he hates he hates pride and he hated their evil attitude toward the jewish people his chosen people 
In verse 21, notice he said, I will make you a terror. Now, in another translation, it says, I shall bring terrors on you. Notice the things the Lord says about what he's going to do to the city of Tyre. It says he's going to make them desolate. He's going to cover them with water. He's going to bring them down into the pit. He's going to bring terrors on them. He's going to remove them from the earth. On the other hand, he promised Israel their enemies, future glory and blessing. While Tyre existed, it caused fear of revenge in all of their rivals and all of their challenges, challengers. The absence of Tyre would produce the fear of, of dismay and uncertainty. Tyre would disappear from the family of nations forever, and it has. It's never been rebuilt. And again, it's a place where the fishermen dry their nets. Again, God's you know, infallible word. Now in chapter 7, it covers the lament. You know, it, it talks about the lament or the mourning over the loss of Tyre. The Old Testament prophets occasionally use funeral songs, like I said, in a mocking way to ridicule their enemies. And you find something like that here in this lament over the fall of Tyre. So neither Ezekiel nor the Jewish nation was grieved over Tyre's destruction. But the event that gave Israel, uh, Ezekiel a chance to express truthful, uh, spiritual truth is in this song. And since Tyre was a seaside city, this chapter compares the city and its, and its business to a beautiful ship that eventually sinks and brings a lot of sadness to the merchants and the customers alike. Verses 1 through 9 covers the presentation notice of the city. Let's look at verses 1 through 9 now of chapter 27. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Now, son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre, and say to Tyre, you who are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchant of the peoples on many coastlands, thus says the Lord God. O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. They made all your planks of fir, uh, fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make you a mast. O oaks uh, of oaks from Bashan, they made your oars. The company of Asherites have inlaid your planks with ivory from the coast of Cyprus. Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was what you spread your, uh, for your sail. Blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was what covered you. Inhabitants of Sidon and Arved were your oarsmen. Your wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They became your pilots. Elders of Gibal and its wise men were in you to caulk your seams and all the ships of the sea and their oarsmen were in you to market your merchandise. Tyre was situated in a, in a prime location for their trade and for their military purposes. The city was well known, as I said, for its pride. You can see the description of it there in verses 1 through 9. So again, they were well known for its pride and their conceit, and they believed that they were indestructible. But God warned that this kind of pride was the beginning of destruction. The people of Tyre thought that their city was the model of perfection with all of its wealth, all of the business they did, all of the trade with other nations. But God marked that city to be destroyed because of its moral and spiritual uh, poverty. We saw that in verses 1 through 3. The words entrance of the sea is plural. It means entrances, referring to two entrances to the harbor. 
And then the lament or the grief compared Tyre to a magnificent merchant ship. It was like grieving over a merchant ship that was, that, that was perfectly built. It was a beautiful ship. And it sailed in the midst of the seas. Pine trees from Sinir, also called uh, Mount Hermon, they were used for this ship's timber. This timber was, the ship was made out of this beautiful wood. Uh, a mast was made from Lebanon cedars, according to verse 5. The ship's oars were made of oak from Bashan. And the planks of the deck, they were made out of cypress from the city of Cyprus. The deck was also inlaid with ivory, verse 6 says, adding to its beauty and its worth. So again, by this description, it was a beautiful ship. It, they used woven linen from Egypt uh, to, to make their mast. You know, and, and it served as a flag or a banner. It says the deck awning was blue and purple. Those are regal colors from Elisha. The ship's oarsmen, it says in verse 8, were men of Sidon and Arvad. That's a city near Sidon, famous for its seamen. The pilots, verse 8 says, were skilled men of Tyre. Skilled craftsmen from Gibal were on the ships. And carpenters skilled in ship construction and repair were on board for repairing cracks in the seams. Ships would come alongside this magnificent vessel in the ocean to trade and to sell cargo, according to verse 9. And then verses 10 through 24 covers the significance of the city. Look at verses now 10 through 24. Those from Persia, Lydia, and Libya were, were in your army as men of war. They hung shield and helmet in you. They gave splendor to you. Men of Arvid with your army were on your walls all around, and the men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made your beauty perfect. Tarshish was your merchant because of your many luxury goods. They gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. Javan, Tubal, and Meshach were your traders. They bartered human lives and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Those from the house of Togarma traded for your wares with horses, steeds, and mules. The men of Dedan were your traders. Many isles were the market of your hand. They brought you ivory tusks and ebony as payment. Syria was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made. They gave you for your wares emeralds, purple and uh, purple embroidery, fine linen, corals and rubies. Judah and the land of Israel were your traders. They traded uh, for your merchandise wheat of manith, millet, honey, oil and balm. Damascus was your merchant because of the abundance of goods that you made, because of your many luxury items with the wine of Helbon and with white wool. Dan and, Jav- and Javan paid for your wares transver- uh, traversing back and forth. Wrought iron, cassia, and cane were among your merchandise. Dedan was your merchant in, sa- in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Qadar were your regular merchants. They traded with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Rama were your merchants. They traded for your wares, the choicest spices, uh, all kinds of precious stones and gold, Haran, Cana, and Eden, the merchants of Sheba, Assyria, and, and Kilmod were your merchants. These were your merchants in choice items, in purple clothes, in, in embroidered garments, in chests of multicolored apparel, in sturdy woven cords, which were in your marketplace. Mercenaries. Hired soldiers were hired to help in defending Tyre. These men were from Persia, Lydia, and Libya. They were local mercenaries. There were also local, local mercenaries that also came from Arvid and Gamma, according to verse 10 and 11. 
It says they hung their shields on the walls as a sign that they were on the job, that they were there to help protect the city. The range of business, as we read just now in the verses, man, it was wide, it was far-reaching. Twenty nations are mentioned here as having direct trade relations with Tyre. Another three had indirect trade with Minneth, according to verse 13. And, and, and Iman, they sold wheat to Judah and to Israel to use in trade with Tyre. And in Helbon, a wine center that was northwest of Damascus and Zahar, a desert area that was also northwest of Damascus, you know, traded wine, wool with Damascus for, for, uh, for trade with Tyre. 37 different products are named here as the trade merchandise of Tyre, including metals, horses, ivory, ebony, fabric, coral, precious stones, food items, wool, saddle blankets, cattle garments, cattle garments and, and rugs. Many nations did business with, with, with Tyre. And many nations, Tyre did business uh, with, 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 you know, would still exist today uh, with some of these that still exist today, but they have different names. Many of these names in the chapter are still in business today, but they have different names. Among these are Greece, Rhodes, Israel, Damascus, Syria, and Arabia that still today do business there. Others have changed their names or they no longer exist. Examples of these that did business are Tubal and Meshach. These are regions, regions of uh, Eastern Asia Minor. Tor, uh, Tor, uh, Togarma, which became Armenia. Aram, which became Syria. Mineth, which became Amman. And Helbon and Zahar, located northwest of Damascus. Dedan, northwest of Edom. Kedar was part of Mesopotamia with Ashur and Kilmod. Tyre's agents, brokers and traders and customers are going to feel the negative effects of this beautiful sinking ship. Again, Tyre's the picture of this sinking ship. People are going to stand on the shore and they're going to mourn over the end of the enormous commercial system that gave them jobs, income, and security. Some of the merchants will hiss when they hear the news, according to verse 36, probably as a shocked response to the tragedy. But the word can mean also to hiss in scorn or derision, suggesting that some of the leaders in the business network are happy to see Tyre fail, to see them fall. They cooperated in the system because they had to. But now maybe they would have a chance to build their own connections and make a bigger profit than they did when they were build, build, uh, working with, with Tyre. So in closing, this great city, this great city, did I finish the rest of the chapter? Did I read the rest of it? I didn't think so. All right. Let's pick up with 25 through the end of the chapter. The ships of Tarshish were carriers of your merchandise. You were filled and very glorious in the midst of the seas. Your oarsmen brought you uh, into many waters, but the east wind broke you in the midst of the seas. Your riches and wares and merchandise, your mariners and pilots, your cockers and merchandisers, all your men of war are in you. And in the entire company which is in you will fall into the midst of the seas. On the day of your ruin, the common land will shake it, a shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. All who handle the oars 
the mariners and all the pilots of the sea will come down from the ships and stand on the shore, and they will make their voice heard because of you. They will cry bitterly and cast dust on their heads. They will roll about in ashes. They will shave themselves completely bald because of you. Gird themselves with sackcloth and weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. In their wailing for you, they will take up a lamentation and lament for you. What city is like Tyre, destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares went out by sea, you satisfied many people. You enriched the kings of the earth with your many luxury goods and your merchandise. But you are broken by the seas and the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and the entire company will fall in your midst. All the inhabitants of the isle will be astonished at you. Their kings will be greatly afraid and their countenance will be troubled. The merchants among the peoples will hiss at you. You will become a whore and be no more forever. So I covered this portion, but I didn't read it. In closing, like I said, the great mourning for the city of Tyre, this is a future picture of what the world is going to do when Satan's system, the great Babylon, in Revelation chapter 18, verses 17 through 19, collapses before the Lord returns to set up his kingdom. You see, no matter how efficient, no matter how rich and beautiful or powerful a nation might be, hey, when the Lord says, I'm bringing you down, guess what? You're coming down. Nothing can stop God's hand of judgment. And when you look at the characteristics of Tyre, Look at the characteristics of the United States of America. Those who depend on power and wealth of God's enemies, they will experience great loss. Why? God alone. Man, He's our, he's our resource alone. We are to depend upon Him. No man, no other government because our God never fails. Men fail all the time. We see that. People and nations who reject God not only can, but will ultimately fail in the end. And again, that's what Revelation is going to show us You know, at, at the end of the tri- Great Tribulation. There's definitely a message in this picture of Titan for our day and our generation. That's why we need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray that, that, that you know, that, that people will, will recognize God and recognize what's going on. They know something's going on, but they don't really look in the right places to find out why it's going on and who's bringing it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word, God. And Lord, let us see, Father, Lord, that you, your word says you are partial to no one. You have no favorites, Lord. And Father, if you brought this judgment against all the nations of the Old Testament, new, Father, because of their immorality, because of their pride and arrogance, Father, we we are next in line, God. We're no better. There's nothing special about us in the sense of of deserving, um, you know, or, or not deserving your judgment, Father. So, Lord, help us to see, Father, where we are, what we're doing. And Father, as believers, God, may we pray for our government. We pray for our nation, God. Pray that we would get back or get into the basics of your word of God. And that, God, we would live for you, Lord. That, Father, we reach out to others that may, may come to know you, Father. So, Lord, we thank you. 
And Father, may we continue to watch and to look up, God, knowing that you're standing at the threshold, Father, waiting for the word of the Father to say, go get your bride. So, Father, we wait expectantly for that time, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Sunday morning, we're back into Philippians. We just started it last week. We'll be